Hi everyone, this is Danny, and today's podcast is going to be focusing on the fourth chapter of the novel, The White Tiger. Uh, this chapter is called The Fourth Night, and what I want you guys to do while you listen to this podcast is the same as all the others. Please make sure that you're writing out notes as you listen, so you've got something concrete that you can take away. If you find that you have any questions at all, or you need to check in with me about anything that I've covered, feel free to get in contact with me either in class or email or Facebook. I'm always around to help support you guys. So if we get back into it, at the end of the last chapter, Balram is picked to be the number one driver and he's going to accompany um, Ashok and Pinky Madam to Delhi where he's going to work as their exclusive driver. So it's a big step up in the world for Balram and it's also important to keep in mind Delhi. It's a really important setting in the novel and it represents really important things. We'll get into that as the chapter unfolds but the first thing I wanted to point out on the first page of the fourth night, the chapter we're on at the moment, is that chandelier. Balram says, I should talk a little bit more about this chandelier. And the chandelier, it comes up a lot in the novel. He often refers to it pretty much throughout the entire novel in all of the chapters. He's always referring to it. And so what's the significance of this chandelier? Like, obviously, it's a symbol. It's something that Adiga returns to time and time again. It's meant to represent something to us. So what you might do is think about a chandelier. Well, what's a chandelier? Like, it's glass, light comes through it. It's usually in mansions. They're big, they're ornate. So maybe it represents the kind of wealth and prosperity that Balram's managed to make for himself later on down the line after the events that he's describing. So it kind of contrasts Balram living in wealth and prosperity with the Balram who was once a driver for Mr. Ashok. But maybe also I think that the fact that the chandelier, it gives off light, it's meant to kind of connect in with that theme of darkness and light. It, it kind of shows that Balram, even though he has committed some atrocious things, like uh, he cheats, he lies, he murders his master, he steals, truly awful things, it's highly ironic because even after doing all of these terrible things, he's not so much punished, like he escapes from the law, he often claims that he doesn't feel badly for what he's done, and what happens to him? Well, he literally gets to live in the light. He lives in the light that emanates down from the chandelier. And I think it's just another sort of nifty way that Adiga, the author, manages to kind of weave that theme into the novel. So I would always keep in mind that idea of the chandelier. It's something that you could easily analyse in any stack or exam that you sit. So Balram gets into it and he starts to describe this idea of Delhi. So Delhi to him, he says on page 98, let a driver tell you the truth. And the truth is that Delhi is a crazy city. And for Balaram, it's a crazy city and part of what's going to happen there, which we're going to find out pretty soon. But it's also crazy because of the contrast that exists in between it. So it's this big city. And he says on page 98, See, the rich people live in a big housing colonies like the Defence Colony or the Greater Kalesh or the Vasant Kunj, and inside their colonies the houses have numbers and letters. 
Um, and then you contrast that on page 99 with the poor people that live in Delhi. It's, it's a world apart, even though they occupy the same city. So on page 99 he says, Thousands of people live on the sides of the road in Delhi. They have come from the darkness too, the same place that Balaram comes from. You can tell from their thin bodies, filthy faces, and by the animal-like way they live under the huge bridges and overpasses, making fires and washing and taking lights out of their hair while cars roar past them. It's interesting because the way that he describes the poor people, and they're pretty much just like him. They come from the darkness just like Balram does. It's just that through his intelligence and through his, I guess, his guts, he's been able to find a way out of the darkness, whereas these people are stuck in the darkness because they haven't had those opportunities. And it's interesting the way they describe them, almost like they're animals, like they're less than human. And that's the kind of attitude that people have towards the poorer people in India. They're not even considered people. They're nothing. They're less than nothing. And another thing that I want to point out to on page 99 is where it says, these homeless people are a particular problem for drivers. They never wait for a red light, simply dashing across the road on impulse. And each time I brake to avoid slamming the car into one of them, the shouting would start from the passenger seat. That's foreshadowing again. So it's a literary technique that's hinting at what's going to happen later on down the line. Like we don't actually know the significance of Balram saying that drivers often almost crash into these poor people, but we're about to find out why that's important. So like, if you've read the book more than once, you're immediately going to know why I'm talking about this moment. So that use of foreshadowing is something that happens in the novel quite a bit, and it's something that I think you should take note of. So as this chapter unfolds, I won't go into every little thing for it. You can easily get a summary for that. But it kind of shows the corruption growing in Ashok. So on page 115... The the car, so Balram's driving with the mongoose, so Ashok's brother and Ashok in the car, after delivering a bribe, um, and they drive past the statue of Gandhi. So Gandhi, for those of you who don't know, he was an Indian leader, respected, loved, adored, and he was meant to represent you know, um, he was meant to represent passive resistance and freedom and all sorts of really good things, like an absolute idol. And Ashok says we're driving past Gandhi, the statue, after just having given a bribe to a minister. It's a fucking joke, isn't it? You sound like your wife now, the mongoose said. I don't like swearing. It's not part of our traditions here. It's a fucking joke, our political system. I'll keep saying it as long as I like. Ashok's pretty interesting because, well, on the one hand, he is corrupt. He is able to actually recognise the fact that he's being corrupt and he... I think he, he loathes that part of himself, like he hates that part of himself. But I also think that Ashok is sort of um, an inherently weak character. Like he is just weak and he's not able to stand up for what is right. He lacks that kind of strength that maybe Balram and Pinky Madam we find out later has. He's weak. And it's interesting because... If you keep in mind that idea of corruption is a theme that gets explored a lot in this novel, there's always connections back to that idea of corruption. And I guess Ashok is starting to become even more corrupt through his experiences in Delhi. In this chapter, Balram, he, he observes, he's watching what's happening with his master and he describes what their life is like living in the apartment there. On page 118, there's a really interesting quote where it says, when you're the driver, you never see the whole picture. 
just flashes, glimpses, bits of conversation. And then when the masters are coming to the crucial part of their talk, it always happens. I think that quote could also be applied to Balram too. Like, you've got to keep in mind the fact that this is a novel that's told in the first person. It's all through Balram's perspective. Um, so what he's telling us may not be completely accurate because it's told through his point of view. It's not really objective in terms of the narration. So that's something that you need to keep in mind as well because Diga plays around with that idea of Balram as a reliable or an unreliable narrator. Balram on page 120 um, makes a really interesting observation about Ashok. He says, Secondly, I realise that this tall, broad-shouldered, handsome, foreign-educated man who would be my only master in a few minutes when the long whistle blew and this train headed off to Dunbard was weak, helpless, absent-minded and completely unprotected by the usual instincts that run in the blood of a landlord. If we were back in Luxmanark, we would have called you the lamb. And it's a really interesting kind of quote because it shows how Balram views Ashok. He views him as a lamb. And what happens to lambs? They get slaughtered. They get eaten. They're weak. They're not strong like something like a white tiger is. So it's interesting that they use those kind of um, animal imagery or those animal symbolisms throughout the novel to kind of represent what the characters are on the inside. Um, and the reason why Balram says that about Ashok is because, well, he's wrong about Balram. On page 119, Ashok says, The driver's honest. He's from Luxembourg. I saw his family when I went there. And it kind of points out the kind of naivety that Ashok has towards Balram. He doesn't recognise who he's dealing with here. This person who's supremely intelligent and has a cunning about him that someone like Ashok can never understand. And as this chapter goes on, Balram experiences life more and more in Delhi. And there's this really interesting moment where after Balram is made fun of by Pinky Madam for scratching his groin and also just building up for moments where he gets made fun of for how he pronounces words like maul and how he eats and, you know, just basic things about him as a person. On page 128, he says, Why had my father never told me not to scratch my groin? Why had my father never taught me to brush my teeth in milky foam? Why had he raised me to live like an animal? Why do all the poor live amid such filth, such ugliness? There's an anger that's building in Balram. It builds throughout the entire novel. And what is he angry at? The unfairness of the world around him. The fact that he's been born into this caste. The fact that in this society it's impossible to break out of. The fact that it just repeats again and again and again. Like that symbol of the river Ganja how it swallows you and absorbs you and even if you reincarnate you're just going to wind up living the same kind of life that you did the first time there's a hopelessness to Balram in a way there's this sense that he feels like at some point he's not going to be able to move any further he's going to be stuck where he is so at night Balram is driving Pinky Madam and Ashok out and he observes the nine around him, and he observes um, Ashok and Pinky Madam. And on page 135, he makes an interesting statement about Ashok. He says that this man, as I told you, was different. He was capable of becoming someone better than his father. My eyes had touched his conscience. He nudged Pinky Madam and said, we're not alone, you know. And it's interesting because Balram, even though he murders Ashok, 
it's almost like he looks at him somewhat fondly. It's like he's collateral damage. It's not that Balram hated him or anything like that, which is debatable. He changes his mind about that at different points of the novel when he describes it. But there are moments where he has a deep affection for his master, and that's also important to keep in mind because the book's also about the relationship that these two characters share. And it's also about Balram's overall development from how he went from being that little boy in Laksamanag in the village to how he becomes that master that he becomes later on in the novel. So as the night wears on, Pinky Madam winds up behind the wheel of the car. Both of them are drunk. And on page 138, a big turning point in the novel happens. A turning point is a really big moment where it affects the action for the rest of the book. And on page 138, Balram describes, he got into the back seat, they did another U-turn across the middle of the avenue and then drove off at top speed, racing through one red light after the other. The two of them were shrieking and pinching each other and making giggling noises and helpless to do anything. I was just watching the show from the back seat when the small black thing jumped into our path and we hit it and knocked it over and rolled the wheels of the car over it. Note the use of the line, the small black thing. It connects back to his description in the last chapter about the poor people that gather under the bridge in Delhi. So after this murder happens, it's really, it's it's a horrific murder, a hit and run that Pinky Madam does. It's not Balram who's driving the car, you need to keep that in mind. It's actually Pinky Madam who's behind the wheel. Um, as Hot's reaction to it when he and Balram get out of the car to check what had happened, he says, oh, page 140. Oh, she was one of those people. And it's really interesting what Ascock does immediately after this. It's almost like it's something that he knows how to do, how to manipulate someone like Balram. On page 141, he decides to make Balram feel comfortable and feel like he's appreciated. And he says, sit down, make yourself comfortable, Balram. You're part of the family. My heart filled with pride. I crouched on the floor, happy as a dog, and waited for him to say it again. And... It's disgusting in a way because what Ashok is trying to do there is to try and suck up to Balram and make him feel included and like he's part of the family so that Balram takes the blame for what Pinky Madam does. And so Ashok puts this statement in front of Balram and uh, asks him to look over it and read it. And basically the statement makes Balram culpable for what happened. So it blames Balram for the hit and run of the child. So, in effect, Ashok is trying to frame Balram for what his wife did, which is absolutely despicable if you think about the fact that Balram is this uneducated servant that's basically a slave to his master, has no other opportunities to do or change anything, and he's being asked to take the blame for this crime. And Balram works really hard to point out to us that this isn't an uncommon occurrence. Like, this is the type of corruption that actually takes part in India daily. He says that on page 144. He says, What I am describing to you here is what happens to drivers in Delhi every day, sir. You don't believe me? You think I'm making this up, Mr. Jabal? When you're in Delhi, repeat the story I've told you to some good, solid, middle-class men of the city. Tell him that you heard this wild, extravagant, impossible story from some driver about being framed for the murder his master committed on the road. And watch as your good, solid, middle-class friend blanches. Watch how he swallows hard, how he turns to the window, and he changes the topic at once. 
The jails of Delhi are full of drivers who are there behind bars because they're taking the blame for their good, solid, middle-class masters. We have left the villages, but the masters still own us, body, soul, and ass. And it gets to that idea of the master-servant relationship. If you're the servant, you're meant to just obey your master. And I think that this is a moment that fills Balram with absolute rage at the unfairness of this, of the manipulation of what his master's trying to do, the unfairness of it. There's no one he can go to for help. The courts are stacked against him. And he goes on to describe it, the corruption of this society. On page 145, he says, The judges, wouldn't they see through this obviously forced confession? But they are in the racket too. They take their bribes, they ignore the discrepancies in the case, and life goes on for everyone but the driver. That's all for tonight, Mr Premier. It's not yet 3am, but I've got to end here, sir. Even when I think about this again, it makes me so angry, I might just go out and cut the throat of some rich man now. And that really conveys the kind of anger that Balram has towards his master, the unfairness, the hypocrisy of this society. And I think that you need to keep that idea in mind of how unfair what Ashok was trying to do to Balram was. So you need to ask yourself, you know that Balram's going to slit Ashok's throat pretty soon. Is that horrible? Is that something we should blame Balram for? Should we think of him as a terrible person? Or do you still have sympathy for him despite it? For me personally, I probably still have sympathy for Balram, even though what he did was horrific, because I can understand how in this world, how he's presented it, this was his only option. This was the only way that he was going to break out of that rooster coop or how he was going to break out of this society and make a new life for himself. So we're going to finish that this lecture here now. Um, please make sure that you're writing down notes. And again, like I said at the start of the lecture, if you have any questions at all, feel free to ask me or email me or Facebook me.